Mike Conley traded. Landon, let's talk about what they got. First of all, the details. Grizzlies trade Conley to the Utah Jazz, which probably would have been on our short list of teams, but obviously we talked yesterday about how we thought Boston would be the favorite. Uh, Makes a lot of sense as far as the fit. The Grizzlies get soon-to-be second-year player Grayson Allen, last year's 21st pick in the 2018 draft. Kyle Korver, who's on a non-guaranteed half of his contract in his final year for 1920 is not guaranteed. We'll talk about that. And Jay Crowder, who is an expiring contract as well. They also received the 23rd pick in Thursday's draft and a future first round pick that'll have some protections and it could be years before that pays out, but it's late lottery uh, protected and then becomes lightly protected 22 to 24. Basically, they get a later pick. They get the pick Thursday, Corver, Crowder, and Allen. Landon, what's your reaction to that trade? I really like it for Memphis because you get off Conley's contract and you get an expiring contract, a late first rookie deal, and a non-guaranteed deal. So you, you've opened up a good bit of cap room for the immediate future if you wanted to spend it. You also got some decent role players like Corver, one of the greatest shooters we've ever seen. He could fit on this team unless they just don't want him. They, or they want him to go we'll elsewhere see and they him wave him in a Grizzlies uniform. I, I think they'll uh, they'll make a buyout with him because only half of it is guaranteed. Jay Crowder, I think we'll see in, in a Grizzlies uniform because he'll fit a need, and uh, he's a pretty good value uh, on that contract unless they can find somebody that wants him. So, but yeah, you're right. There's some role players. Uh, I don't think it's great value per se. It's not like a knockout, but Conley is being paid more than $60 million over the next two years, although he would have been nice in Memphis. I don't think they were going to take nothing for him. This is at least some value because I think they were content to at least let him play this next year. What's best, though, is they totally move forward. He might win them five more games. I think it's important because of the protections on the tr- the pick that they owe Boston, that, that they be a, uh, a bottom six team next year, right? So I think that was a factor. And I think another factor was the uh, a similar factor to the Marcus Gasol trade is they want to trade him to somewhere where he'll be able to play a lot and have a chance to compete and contend for a playoff spot. I don't know, Landon. I, I, think, I think that's Utah. What do you think? Well, like you said, as far as potential contenders that could also make realistic offers for Conley, I think Utah is right up there because Boston has the dysfunction and now, which we'll touch on later, it seems that Al Horford won't be returning as well. So their future is uncertain. While Utah has shown the ability to contend in, a, in the deeper and tougher Western Conference win, it was really just Donovan Mitchell on offense. And Mitchell carried them to a series win his rookie year. And then this past season, he was, a bit, he was able to be defended a bit better because teams had more film on him. And Conley, has shown, for as long as we know, he's shown the ability to create his own shot off the dribble he can shoot, which is Ricky Rubio's biggest shortcoming and what the Jazz really missed. And that's essentially who who he'll be replacing. And then some Rubio will not be coming back to Utah. He's a free agent. There was a report about a month ago that Rubio was not in their long-term plan, so it was pretty much a given that he wouldn't be returning. And Conley just overall is a better upgrade over Rubio. I think Rubio might be a bit of, of a better passer and playmaker, but in everything else, I like Conley over Rubio. Right. We'll see Mitchell and Conley play together, and so I don't think there's a problem there. I, he's a good fit on this team. Let's talk about Memphis. Uh, Grayson Allen played about 12 minutes a game in 38 games last year. He's 23 years old. 
I, I think he could carve out a role in this team. They're gonna they're gonna have minutes to give out. What what do you see his fit in Memphis? Well, I see his fit as he was an early, like you said, he was the twenty first pick. He's a second year player, so he still has potential. He showed at Duke that he had the potential to be a, at least a rotational guy, especially when he won Final Four Most Outstanding Player. And I will say in their final game of the season, he did score 40 points, although the Jazz weren't playing most of their regular guys, nor was the other team, but still. He's shown the ability to score potentially long-term, and we all know that he's going to be a plus shooter, which is what which is his biggest selling point coming into the draft last year. So my expectation is minutes on this team, a low usage starter or like a seventh man, and uh, I think they're going to give uh, him pretty much just an opportunity to to crack his rotation, and and I think it's a good good fit for him. And I think this is the time that Memphis sort of sees what they have in guys and sort of tries some guys out. I think he is as good as any because we know on a good team he's a he can be a jack of all trades guy. I expect him. He wasn't a great shooter this past year, but I I think there's a sample size issue with that. Um, so uh, when he's getting serious minutes, uh, I think he'll be uh, at least a league average shooter. Uh, he's not a great athlete, but he has been a good defender. Uh, he could, he, I, I think he could be an NBA seventh man. As for Crowder, I think Crowder's going to get minutes in Memphis, and I think he'll be a league average player or better. He plays. He's a good three and D guy. Uh, he didn't. He did not shoot great in Utah, but I think for what Memphis is trying to do, develop some young guys and, and, and be an interesting team for the future. I think both those guys are, are going to be interesting pieces, at least in, in in the 1920 season. I expect Corver to move on to a contender. I uh, expect to see him probably like in Los Angeles or somewhere like that. Uh, he is an older guy. He's been through some personal stuff uh, lately, but I think he still wants to play. As far as his pick, 23rd, who are the Grizzlies hoping that could reasonably fall to them at 23? Let's think about their team moving forward now. Ja Morant will be their second overall pick, and he'll go to Memphis unless something insane happens tomorrow. Uh, It'll be Ja Morant. It'll be Triple J, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. Um, And basically, those are the two pillars, and they're going to go from there. Everything else is kind of wide open. So what do you think they're looking for with that 23rd pick? I think at that 23rd pick, they're just trying to find a role-playing wing who can do a bit of everything. He's got a high floor, so... He's unlikely to bust, and he can come in and play right away. He can play either forward, he can defend, he can shoot. And to me, that sounds like another guy from Tennessee, Grant Williams. I'm not. It seems like his stock has risen over these past couple days leading up to the draft, but at 23rd, he really makes a lot of sense for this Grizzlies team. I don't think it'd be a giant reach. It's similar to Grayson Allen. I thought Grayson Allen would go in the late 20s, early 30s. He went 21st last year because the team thought he could contribute. I, mean, I think Grant Williams plays a different position, but he's that guy. So I don't think it would uh, shock anybody if he goes 23rd. Obviously, I would love it. Uh, Grant Williams uh, is a player, and I don't think his upside is super high, but he's a guy that will uh, surprise you. I could see him being like a like a poor man's Carlos Boozer type and just uh, doing all the little things and actually kind of surprising people offensively. I don't know if they will go higher ceiling. But uh, I like the idea, and I like the fit there, Grant Williams. Uh, any, anybody else? Well, what if let's say they go absolutely high ceiling at twenty-three? Baisley, if he's there. Yeah, Baisley makes sense. Kevin Porter Jr. from USC, because just if he's there, because his stock fluctuates so much because he has so much talent, but there are character concerns. There's effort, 
their shooting concerns, but talent-wise, he's probably a top-ten guy, but it really just comes down to the teams before the 23rd pick wanting to take that risk on him. Right. So, ideally, like you said earlier, they've got – and they'll they'll take the best player available if they're smart, and they don't really need to find a bench player or anything. They they, they need to swing for the fence, right, or find, find a Memphis Grizzly there – there are like some teams in sports that they they sort of look for a certain type of player and a type of personality, and um, I bet they have a guy in mind, and I bet that helped them make this trade because you would think there were other offers. Maybe this was by far the best. ESPN.com is giving them an A here. Love this trade. I, I don't know if it's a, a knockout, but it is a good, solid value and puts the all-time greatest Memphis Grizzly in, in a pretty good position. So I, I really think that was important to them. But at 23 – uh, like you said, they go wing here if they possibly can. And Porter, he's interesting because there's some personal issues. There's some weird stuff with him. People wonder about about him and his motor. But he is a swing for the fences type. So I think that could be really interesting. Grant Williams could be interesting. Baisley if he's there. What about Ty Jerome? That's a pretty safe role guy because I think as far as the ceiling goes, I think Jerome is almost there because physically he's not that impressive for an NBA prospect. He's a multi-year guy at Virginia, but he's shown the ability to be a he's shown the he's shown the ability to be at least a secondary ball handler and playmaker at Virginia. He's shown shooting. So at 23, you're taking him, and you think he can come off the bench and he can be a ball handler and a, a guy that can potentially add something to the offense. Yeah, I think with uh, Morant's size, and they already brought on uh, Allen, who's somewhat of a similar player, although I, I like Ty Jerome better, honestly. He's so skilled offensively. He was so cool under pressure hitting those free throws. He's got more size than I think he looks and he gets credit for. Maybe not length, but decent size. And, and he's sort of coming up draft boards as as like Porter, for instance, goes down. But we'll, we don't know what's smoke and we don't know what's fire, but we will tomorrow night. That's the Conley trade. Uh, any any other thoughts there? Uh, I think it works for, for both teams. What do you think? I, I think so. And with Conley's contract, it's two more years. So it'll run out right around the time they need to start paying Donovan Mitchell big money. So as far as the money goes, it doesn't really matter for Utah that much. Yeah. So what I really like most, uh, besides you know getting some uh, getting the picks, is they didn't take back a lot of salary. Like both are expiring. Uh, Corver, uh, they could they can buy out I think for like four million dollars or less. Uh, I was worried that they were going to take back a guy for multi years because there was so much. Uh, money involved, but obviously there was a market for Conley because he played so well down the stretch. His body of work's good. His character and reputation around the league—they got pretty good value for a guy who's getting a lot of money over the next two years. So other things happened uh, this morning too. We found out Al Horford because I still think there's a chance we could see him back in Boston, but it looks like all signs are pointing to he's going to leave. And I would love to know the rest of that story because he seemed like the backbone of that team and even that organization. You know, first of all, what do you think happened? Second of all, where's he going to go? Well, I think part of it is he's getting into the later, late stages of his career. So he's 33. Yeah, so he's not as interested in. So now in Boston, it went from, oh, they have all these assets and young players and a deep team, and they have a chance to contend for a finals appearance in the Eastern Conference. Now it's, we have these young guys and these assets, probably too many first round picks this year. And this team's future, as far as contending, as far as contention is up in the air. So for Horford, he can leave 
There are plenty of contenders, especially in the West, that can give him about the same money. It makes me wonder how much warning Boston had. Did they find out yesterday? Have they really known? Did he give them a heads up? Because it's not like they'll be in panic mode. This is a team we thought was rebuilding in 150 games, you know, what, three years ago, 149 games. It does it does change a lot for them, and it does make them look at things a lot different. They'll have to change their strategy to some extent if he is indeed just gone. I don't know that it'll wind up being a bad thing, but Horford is that guy. When you look at him on a stat sheet, he looks like a really good role player. That guy does a little bit of everything. And somebody, if I were guessing, as far as what happened is he's gotten some back channel, not deal, but uh, some back channel agreement. offer, agreement, or interest from his agent that says, you know, so and so is, you know, they're they're going to give you eighty million for three years, or not, you know, whatever, some crazy number because somebody has got it in their head that they are Al Horford away. And the same thing with I don't think the Utah Jazz make this trade if they thought Durant was coming back and if Clay Thompson was healthy. Now that seems like a bold statement. I'm not really into hot takes. But, Landon, I, I think people see this is their chance to make a conference final. I really do believe that. There's been several teams, they'll never admit it, that have been kind of in hold mode. And now you're going to see teams say, hey, why not us? Utah thinks that. More surprising things have happened. That A team like that, McNorton, they have pieces. They have an excellent coach. They have a good organization. Who knows, right? So, by the same token, Boston, Boston has to regroup, right? Yeah, I think they have to regroup. And now it shifts from... We have these veterans that are the center of this team, and we have these young prospects that are here to complement. Now you shift into these young prospects are the team, and we have to figure out where to go from here. And Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, along with all their picks this year, that's not a bad young core to be left with. Yeah, that's why I stopped short of rebuild or panic, because they've got a lot, and they've done more over the last few years with less. Stevens and Ainge and those guys, but they have some interesting decisions to make, right? Not to mention the three picks that I don't think they're going to make tomorrow. Uh, Something's coming. We said yesterday on this podcast, there's these little moves here and there, and it's just tea leaves, right? And now everything's sort of slowly being revealed to us, and it's just super exciting. So that was surprising because I, I see Horford sort of tied to the Celtics, even though he's played there for just two years it was surprising that he plans to leave, but it wasn't the most surprising thing I've heard in the last 24 hours uh, in regards to the to the NBA. Harrison Barnes opting out of his contract. What was it, $25 million? Yeah, it was, tw- it was $25 million for the last year. He played okay, put up some stats, but honestly, you know, when you look at it from a financial perspective, you'd have to at least expect to get at least double that amount of money for no more than three years. Maybe he will, but I, I don't know. First of all, were you surprised? Second of all, what's the market and a likely destination? Well, I will say that I was completely blindsided by that because obviously $25 million is a lot. And it's hard to tell where the NBA's perception of Harrison Barnes is because he's been stuck on some bad Dallas teams and then got traded to Sacramento. And from the fans' perspective, his last real moments in big-time basketball was going ice cold and helping the Warriors blow the finals. Right, But maybe the NBA still believes that in the right scheme or system that he makes sense. Maybe Sacramento wants him back long-term, like you said. Maybe so. Where, where do you see him landing? Initially, I really thought that Sacramento, he and Sacramento had agreed to re-up for more years and a bit more money overall. But with this Al Horford news, 
I'm not really sure because if they're choosing between Barnes and Al Horford, I really think they have a... I think you have to take Al Horford right with this team. With De'Aaron Fox, Heald, Bogdanovich, and especially Marvin Bagley. If you can play Bagley at the four and have Al Horford at the five to cover up Bagley's current lack of interior defense, that's a really good starting five. That's a, that's a really good playoff contender in the West. He would be an excellent fit. Horford would be an excellent fit in Sacramento. And not only that, Sacramento's the kind of team that will give a 33-year-old man $30 million for like three or four years, right? So I, I think I think you might be onto something there. Chris Middleton uh, declines his $13 million player option. No surprise there. But it looks like the Bucks and Middleton's representation are working on a, a long-term extension. First of all, Ann, do you think that gets done? Second of all, how essential is Middleton to, to the immediate future of the Bucks? I think this deal does get done relatively smoothly just because we saw that Middleton worked as a great number two option to Giannis where if Giannis just can't bully into the paint or he's not just hitting his shots, you can go to Middleton as number as the second guy who can just score as he wants. I think he's pretty essential to their success. Obviously, he was an all-star level player, but he was their number two. He was the number two scoring option. He's this big wing that can play the two through four, through four. He can score over smaller guards. He has the post-up game when the threes aren't falling. But at the same time, their system is really just give Giannis the ball, let him do what he wants, let him create space, he'll pass to you, you're probably open, hit your hit your threes. Obviously, Milton is elite at that level of his game, but yeah, is he really elite enough? Yeah, three-point shooter, yeah, absolutely. But is he really elite enough to be paying a max to when you could Ooh, instead yeah. spread that money around a bunch of role players like keep Lopez... George Which Hill, they did a good job. Guy. Of, they did a good job of identifying some some role players and bringing them on. So it would be tough to be kept out and not be able to do that, right? I think so, especially with Brogdon's contract also being up as a restricted free agent. Right. It would be tough to imagine them keeping both and then still having any kind of flexibility at all. It's going to be one of the many things that's going to be super interesting to see in the next two weeks. Landon, you mentioned on a previous podcast that yeah, we're less than two weeks from free agency beginning, but really, in your estimation, the deals are getting done right now through back channels, right? Maybe not even back channels. The Lakers' behavior in the last 24 hours and them scrambling to get other teams uh, to take on the contracts of Mo Wagner, Bonga, Jamario Jones, tells us, if we read between the lines, they're trying to get uh, create max space, right? I mean, it just seems... And so, with your theory that these deals are getting done right now. Is this scrambling for a specific player? Do you really think like they've gotten some kind of uh, casual commitment from one of these top free agents and now they're scrambling around and just trying to make the money work? I think so. Obviously if like a, like you said, if an all-star level free agent says you make max cap space, I'll go there. They'll do that. But also because this is a team in a win now mode and LeBron James doesn't like to play with young guys and rookies and second-year players. So, Wagner, Jamario Jones. I mean, these guys are not of a lot of consequence, but I would think it would have to be a specific guy, right? Sometimes it's like, oh, they're clearing space in case this is... Honestly, I'm with you. I think this stuff gets done now. And I think Kimball Walker or somebody said, hey, you get the $32 million, I'm coming, right? That's what his agent has said. That's what I think. If that's true, who's the player in your best... 
I think like you stole my answer. I'd probably say Kimba Walker just because he fits what they need as a ball handler at the guard position who can shoot and create his own shot. He said he's willing to take less than the Supermax from Charlotte, which doesn't really make sense. So in my mind, that means it's not so much about the money as everything else basketball-wise. And obviously, if he gets the chance to bolt to L.A. and play with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, then that's a pretty good convincing argument for him who to leave. Who blame him? And you hear a lot about, oh, they need to create flexibility for role players. Yeah, Milwaukee did a decent job finding some role players. I don't think Palinka is going to identify some great talent. I think it would turn into a bunch of whatever. It's kind of like if you ever had a friend who – He's really bad with his money, and he comes into, let's say, he comes in ten grand. Sometimes you'd rather him just buy a car or a down payment on a house because you know, within six months he's going to blow it anyway. And I think Rob Palinka is potentially that guy. Not everybody's the Spurs. Not everybody's the Raptors. Not everybody is the Bucks last year. They can't make three awesome decisions and hit three doubles on three guys that fit perfectly. Which, when you look at what the Bucks did last year, you just can't assume that like you're going to do that because they do that at any level last year? No. So sometimes I think it is better for them just to try to try to hit that homer with Kimball Walker, right? Yeah, I'd have to agree with you because it's hard to mess up signing Kimball Walker because he probably won't be an all-star in the West with how many great guards there are now, but he'll still be a great scoring option for them. That's, and when you he have... He wouldn't have to. We just need to keep him honest. And I think, yeah, in the defensive thing, but I, I think the guy would be a, a pretty good... I don't see him as an elite player, like you're saying... But I think he'd be a really good fit there. Yeah, 100%. And and now you have a big three of Walker, LeBron, Anthony Davis. And big threes, more often than not, especially when two of the big three are top seven guys in LeBron and Davis, you're usually getting close to a championship. LeBron's 34, but I'm telling you, he's going to come back rested and healthy and hungry, and he's going to be a really good power forward in this league next year because that's what they're going to want and he'll play some three and some four, and he will be ready to go.